Hey everyone, welcome back to Forward Thinking with Chrissy and Charlie. Um, today we have a guest, uh, Justin Norris, and he's the director of solutions architecture at Percudo. And we have talked about roadmaps um, on one of our past podcasts and why they're so important to marketing ops, but really taking the approach of, you know, how do you um, take that approach like a product management team? And so um, today we wanted to actually get someone who works in marketing ops and, you know, works in that whole uh, kind of role and really owns or has created a roadmap to really give you insights into why it's important, how do you create it, and maybe even learn uh, some of the lessons that he learned along the way for for creating one and and um, everything else in between. Justin um, has a deep background, and so we'll probably go a little bit off tangent talk about something super important to marketing ops. So welcome, Justin. Thank you both for having me. Yeah, so to kick it off, we I, I think it's always important to kind of understand the story um, of our guests and you know have a little bit of empathy and really understand you and and your background. So could you tell us a little bit about you know your past roles, how you got into uh, marketing ops or or you know the whole realm of revenue ops and what you do today? For sure. Um, I, I entered marketing ops via pure marketing and, um, had, had worked sort of in email marketing and sort of general marketing and really kicked off my exposure to, to ops and marketing automation. When I was the um, head of marketing at a software startup, I really, the head of marketing is a bit of a, a glamorous way to put it. I was the only marketing person, was the third, <laughs> third employee of the company. Um, and, and so it was a true kind of startup environment and, you know, just activating channels, uh, brought in Marketo was one of the first things we did, brought in Salesforce, um, but was just owning a ton of things, had a lot of pots on the stove and um, was managing, you know, a customer success team slash sort of sales, inside sales team. Um, and as that company grew, I was able to define my role increasingly um, and, and, you know, obviously the role gets narrower because one person can't do, do all those sorts of things, but ended up at that time what I called the director of CRM because this was coming on 10 years ago now and marketing operations wasn't as much of a thing, or at least it wasn't a title that I readily could have to describe what I was doing. And um, I had what I, what I felt was almost a bit of a professional identity crisis um, in the sense that I started to feel more distanced from a lot of like the marketing things that I was doing. This was around a time when you know, growth hacking was really popular, that, that mm-hmm. term. And um, it, that sort of thing just became less and less appealing. What I was gravitating towards was the systems and how to make things repeatable and automated and efficient. And just how do we architect an engine that continually drives value for the business rather than just doing sort of one-off programs and, you know, campaigns and more tactical things, which are still important, but I just, I, I wasn't drawn there. And it was a real challenge to articulate to the business at that time, like, um, what is this thing that I'm doing? Why does it deliver value? Um, you know, why shouldn't be gauged on like email open and click metrics? Why there's this, this other thing that's delivering this, this value. Um, and so, you know, really experienced a lot of that transformation there and then eventually was able to articulate what I wanted to do and made the jump to 
to consulting where I'm, I'm now at Percuto where we you know help companies do that. Um, but the, I think the industry's moved a lot since then. Obviously, people entering mobs today have a lot more of a defined space to, to work in than I did. But um, you know, spending spending that time I thought was valuable and gave me a chance to really discover what what, what this thing is. Yeah, and I think it's um, that's kind of a common story too for a lot of people in marketing ops where they never started out in the role because it's just something that's kind of emerged over the, like the past ten years, and they usually start out as kind of like a general marketer and then find their their way into that role. It's very similar, um, and but I think it it it's also valuable to understand marketing. I I, I always say it's really great to have a marketing ops person who maybe even worked in demand gen um, because you kind of understand the goals of the business, why, you know, what makes a great campaign, um, you know, what are those elements of that? Um, but for a marketing ops person, it's it's more like, how do you scale that? How do you make those better? How do you make sure that it's all in alignment? 100%, yeah. Great. So, um you know, just to kick it off, we're, we're talking about uh, roadmaps and I mentioned that at the beginning and uh, there's a lot that goes into it, but I think the the main thing we want to talk about is, you know, why marketing ops can actually, um, you know, adopt creating a roadmap, which is essentially, essentially, you know, before you talked about it, it's just like an artifact, but um, it's something that can really be valuable because of all of the outside kind of things it can provide. So, but first to you, um, what is the marketing ops roadmap and what are the elements, um, you know, that are on it? And, and even, um, to that point, what are some of the things you need to do before you even can start creating a roadmap? Yeah, well, that's a great question. I think just to frame it up a little bit, I mean, like any, um, kind of service department or resource department, which I consider mobs to be you've got a fundamental problem of scarcity. You know, you've only got so many mops headcount, or even if you have outside help, you've only got so much outside assistance that you can call upon. Ultimately, there is a limit. And generally you have, you know, approaching unlimited requests or at least functionally limited requests because the requests exceed the capacity. And so, and you probably have, have seen this as well in your work, but there's kind of two main ways I've seen this approached. Um, that are both bad. And and the first is where <laughs> MOPS is just like the, the executing function. And it's like, mm-hmm. what, what is the business asking me to do today? Like, just, you know, put it, put it in the in-tray and you know, everything's on fire and you're just running with it and um, churning through things. And this is where I think you put this well earlier, Charlie, like you're, you're so busy, but it's very difficult to articulate what you've done and the value of it. And you're just putting out fires or I like to use the analogy of like, you've got a, a dam with cracks in it and you're just trying to plug all the cracks with all your fingers and you're running out of fingers. Um, and that's not good because what you end up with is not very uh, well designed. Usually everything's a bandaid, everything's just hung together with duct tape. You have a lot of technical debt. Mops people aren't happy with that, you know, and they don't want to stick around. So trouble hiring, trouble retaining. Um, so that's one kind of dysfunction. And then the other kind is, it's kind of like there's a culture of no. It's where an offense happens, like where somehow mops has like gotten their courage up and taken back their autonomy or gotten some kind of executive support. But now they're just like, nope, 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 nope. And it's sort of like <laughs> a traditional relationship, which which IT is sometimes unfairly, but IT sometimes is painted as where they're just like, sorry, sorry, sorry. And yeah. 
<laughs> and that's dysfunctional in a different way because now the business is suffering and um, and they'll go around you. And sometimes that's why, you know, folks like us who work on the agency side get hired because people are going around their internal teams because they're not getting support. So both of them- Or, like, yeah. or they'll go and they have Marketo, but then one team will just go and buy MailChimp and start sending <laughs> right, emails. Right, it's that. like, sorry, you're not, <laughs> all right, we're going to go, because an executive just wants to get things done. So they don't care. They're going to find their way. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't blame them in that situation. So- like all that, all that is to say between those two, you know, admittedly exaggerated end, endpoints, there's like a healthier approach, which is, you know, more collaborative, more partnership, more one of um, discovering business value and, and aligning on those mutual priorities. And, and that's where I think the roadmap comes in because, you know, it's on one hand, it's just a way of writing things down, but what it represents is like a shared vision of what marketing operations is going to be delivering for the business. And ultimately, hopefully each of those things is tied back to an agreed upon objective and agreed upon you know, value that's of importance. And um, if everyone is aligned around that, then MOPS knows what they're doing. It's done in a strategic and careful way. You know, there's some contingencies still to put out fires, but um, you actually get and and deliver on things that are important to everybody. And Mops feels happy. You know, they feel proud of what they're doing. Totally. I actually love that you talked about the culture of no, because I've been actually really trying to think of how to articulate that. We we just had a podcast talking about RevOps, and that is also a symptom sometimes, um, or maybe even a result actually of some when you create a RevOps team, I feel like that then gives them that separation from marketing where then they feel like they can say no. Um, but then that creates a lot of friction and I see this happening a lot. It, and, um, it's a, and so I've always been struggling to get my head around, like, how do you artic- articulate that? So, um, yeah, that's a, a great point. You hit it, um, hit it a lot with sales ops too, right? If you're working on the mop yeah. side or if you come in like to help the mops team, like, oh, great. Can we get this field created in Salesforce? It's like, no, like, sorry. Like maybe next year. I was like, come I on. I even had a post know? about that um, <laughs> last year sometime. And I, I, and I was wondering why it is. Why, why is sales ops so much better at saying no than marketing ops? And I, I, I was thinking, is it the personalities? Is it just the way that they just are more mature organizations? More, that are more able practice? To do it? But, I don't yeah, know. Do you, yeah, do you have more any thoughts defined. on that? That's an interesting question. Um, I think there maybe maybe it's because they are more entrenched and um, as a function, and have more of sometimes they're tied to IT, you know, and um, and particularly if the requests coming from ops, you know, there's not a like they report either into IT or into sales. So, you know, if, if someone's going to put pressure on them to do something, you have to do it indirectly, or the you know the VP of marketing or CMO has to go to the VP of sales or whoever and. Um, you know, it's not so easy. So that's probably mm-hmm. why we get stuck with no a lot more. And, it, and I think it comes back to the lack of shared priorities. It's like, mm-hmm. sorry, that's not on our roadmap. So why am right. I going to create your field? Like, yeah, too bad, yep. you know, tough it out. Yeah, I thought your, your point as well on, on scarcity is, is a good one. And I don't know, there's probably one MOPS team out there that's um, adequately um, <laughs> supported in terms of the amount of people on the team. Uh, I, I, I've, I've never met one. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, every every MOPS team is under-resourced in terms of headcount. It's a struggle to get any more additional headcount. So because of that, you are under it a lot of the time. There's a lot to do and there's not enough people to do it. So to be able to have a strategic approach to really tackle the bigger 
more impactful projects that align to the outcomes of the business as opposed to just being that execution function like you put it um it's paramount it's, it's the most important thing that you can probably do as a mops team otherwise like you mentioned like we talked about before this you are just you know putting your finger in like different holes in the wall as it's leaking or you're just you know fighting fires all day and at the end of the month you don't really know what you've done um and and as you mentioned as well that's a surefire way to um, have really bad retention of employees, difficulties hiring. Um, and that's why MOPS, we did a survey a couple of years ago, and I think the average MOPS tenure was, you know, like a, a year or something, just over a year, I think. Gosh. Um, so, um, and, and, we, and so before we talked about this, before we got onto the podcast as well, we, we talked about the product management approach and how MOPS can borrow a lot of you know, ways of working from the product team um, and bring that into how they build their roadmaps, how they operationalize kind of their own internal you know, ways of working. Can you elaborate a bit more on that and explain what that really means to you? Yeah. It, it, the way I first realized this, and I'm not by no means like uh, saying I invented this or anything, I've seen other people um, describe that, and I know that you both have talked about it as well, but um, it was something that I came to kind of organically just through my own job. Um, was this realization that, uh, you know, I have customers, or if you're mobs or, or SOPs or ROBs, whatever, you, you have customers. And when you think about the relationship between a company and its customers, like you don't just do everything that the customers say, you know, in this sort of blindly obedient fashion, but you also don't just tell them to get lost because they're not going to be your customers for very, <laughs> very long. But there's this, um, there's this interplay and there's this relationship and you really try to understand your customers. You know, that was one of the advantage of coming from more of a pure marketing background is that the like customer research and surveys and like getting into the minds and, the, and understanding the true needs of what customers need. That was a really exciting part of, of that marketing job, probably the part I liked the best. And so the realization was, well, let's apply that rather than just like doing the, the tug of war or, or, or stonewalling let's um, really try to understand what these folks need and align with them and deliver value. So if, you know, and, and that was like the light bulb moment because it was like, oh, okay, like this is what you want. Like I can, I can do that. And um, then being able to deliver that. And then there's this happiness. And then it's almost like it goes from people like just trying to chase you down. You actually can become like this hero to folks. Um, this really is, is, is in some ways easier with sales. I find that with marketing, but, um, you know, the sales experience is, is so lousy in most CRMs. Like it's so terrible. And if you right. can improve their CRM, um, and fortunately I was in a small enough shop that I still had the keys to both systems and I didn't have like a huge release cycle to deal with. And like, I could just be like, you don't like this layout. And I could whip something up that night and like, what do you mm -hmm. guys think of this? Everyone's like, yay. It's like, it was very great. So it's easier in a small shop, obviously, to do that. But that's very gratifying. And that's a virtuous circle. And then once you start that, then um, it just becomes a lot easier to start. All right, I've got my customers. I understand what they want. They're the, the source, ultimately, their needs are the source of your roadmap. Because if you're not delivering for them, then, you know, obviously, there's certain things, maybe like technical debt and other stuff that you just have to do or infrastructure, general infrastructure. But ultimately, it's the capabilities of your revenue teams that you support, whether that's just marketing or marketing and sales or CS or whatever. Um, they're driving your roadmap. So really getting into that customer research mentality, I think, is like number one. Like, all right, what do they need? Um, and not just 
at the frontline level, this, that's certainly very important, but all the way up to the executive level. Like, what are your priorities, um, VP of sales? What are your priorities, VP of marketing or CMO or CRO, whatever? And then working down from that, because if you're not aligned to their priorities, your big initiatives are going to get squashed if there's any tension whatsoever. But if you are, if you can say, listen, we need to um, re-architect this lead flow, you know, which is something so a bit more esoteric and technical that maybe your CEO is not going to understand. So if, if we want to get response time for speed to lead down to five minutes, which is, you know, sales is priority, I'm going to meet that SLA. I need to do this re-architecture. Otherwise, mm-hmm. we will never be able to do it. I was like, oh, okay, well, now I understand. So aligning with the, the people, um, having sharing those common KPIs, uh, and then distilling that into a roadmap, and then communicating it. I think that MOPS is often terrible at communication. Like um, they're just, their heads down, they're technical, they're fighting the fires and the, they're in the belly of the beast and they're working away, but um, we don't surface and foreshadow what's coming or announce what we've done or, you know, send out like, a, I started sending out someone at my company uh, encouraged me to do this, started sending out like a newsletter, internal mm-hmm. newsletter, like here's what's coming, you know, so all that super important. And you know, that's, that's transformative and it's not necessarily easy, particularly if you've got an entrenched uh, culture that's different, but I think it's, it's really necessary um, for mobs teams to be successful and to be happy. Yeah, there's so much gold in what you just said there, but I want yeah. to pick out a few, few of the things just to kind of double down on that. Like the reframing of, you know, mops work to business outcome, I think is, is so important where you said, um, instead of saying, oh, I want to re-architect the lead flow, you're saying, okay, if, if you want me to meet this SLA of you know, speed of follow-up for sales to be five minutes, so therefore someone fills out a demo form where they're following up in five minutes, you know, we need to re-architect this and this is what we need to do. You know, that, yeah. That's a way better conversation to have as opposed to kind of the, the formula of what I said there, just like, well, we need to do this technical thing, right? There's that, that esoteric like, thing that no one understands. Um, and then the other thing that I really liked what you just said there um, is the thinking of everyone internally as a customer because it's, so if you take Marketo as an example, like you don't just get a, a turn on Marketo and everyone can use it, right? You're bending it to the will of your company to be, for them to be able to use it to do something, to like create, meet their goals. So you are creating a product, right? You're, you're creating yeah. a product for them to use. So you have to have that product mindset to be able to have a vision for your product have milestones you're trying to get through to go towards that vision. And those milestones are aligned to what's going to make your customers happy. So it, 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 both of those two things there, I think it's so, it's very important for marketing apps people to realize that. Cause I think that once you, once you can have, once you really do think of everyone like a customer, you've got that product mindset and you're able to really articulate this is the value. This is what we're going to do for you. And this is what, instead of just like what the project is, that's when everything does become easier and everyone is aligned. Yeah. Else? And oh, I, go ahead, go ahead, Chris. Oh, I, I was going to add on that, you know, we talk about working cross-functionally being super important for the MOPS person. And I think that part of that too is, you know, so that you can understand the needs of those people, but even them, you just working with them and trying to acknowledge them and figure out what their priorities are, then they know who to go to. They know who's this person that is, you know, like you said, you're going to get maybe more respect or um, from those people or they, you know, 
they'll have like high, put you in higher regard. This naturally elevates your role. And it also, like you said, people can go around people. It also just fast tracks some of those um, people who might go do some rogue things. And then you have to go clean it all up again because someone just went to the wrong person instead of your group because you're so heads down. They didn't even know, you know, if you're the right person to go to. Um, this sounds like simple, but actually it happens a lot because the whole organization doesn't know, oh, okay, this marketing ops team, this is what they work on. This is how they can help me. So they'll go to, you know, any other place where they see fit or try and do it themselves, which is even worse. Um, and so it, it, I think that's a benefit where it also helps save you from cleaning up those fires that maybe happen just because the people that should be, uh, you should be working with your customers don't actually know that you're the person or the team that they should go to. I think you put it very well. And if, you know, if there's mobs folks that are, um, you know, they're used to working in systems and they're technical and they're thinking like, how do I get more respect? How do I elevate my role? I think one of the most important things they can do is be learning how to have those conversations. Mm -hmm. um, where when a request comes in, sit down as a business advisor and a business partner and, and do that. Like, don't just say like, no, like, don't just try to deflect or don't just say, okay, sure. Add it to the list, but start having the discussion. Like, what are we trying to do here? You know, mm -hmm. it's like the practice, the five whys, which some people may have heard of where you like continually dig and why, and why, why do you want to do this? Or why that, why that? And do that business analysis exercise. And then once you've articulated that, try to keep be the one who holds them accountable to tie it back to business goals. Like we've agreed as a business, these are our priorities. That's how they filter down to your department. How does it reflect your priorities so that I can prioritize this? So again, it's like, I'm not saying no, I'm not saying yes. I'm always just looking, what does this relate to? Where can I put it? Does it tie in naturally, which things that I'm doing? And honestly, try to be helpful. Like, cause if people see that you are really trying to, to help them and maybe mm -hmm. there's just a better way of doing it, but you're, you know, it's less of a power struggle and it's more, it's more collaborative. Um, those are, it's a much better relationship to have. Totally. So then for, for all of us on, on this podcast, we're all consultants. So I think it's you know, very much drilled into us to have that approach yeah. and kind of trying to get to the fundamental, like what are, what are they trying to do? But for maybe someone internally who hasn't had that practice, do you have any advice on kind of how can they start, you know, flexing that muscle and, and working that and getting, you know, really like having that approach like day to day and not just kind of falling back on old habits? It's hard, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> we, we have an unfair advantage as consultants because people are paying us to be experts. So it doesn't mean we never get challenged, but you're starting out like, well, you're the expert. We're paying you big money to um, to be the expert. And so um, we're going to naturally be more inclined to listen to you generally. Uh, whereas if you're internal, you know, maybe you've been hired into that role to do that, but if you haven't, or if you've started out in a more junior role and you've gradually worked your way up and now you need to do a reset and reframe your position, your relationship and how you work, uh, that is hard. And I think the first thing I would, I would start with is to get some kind of executive support, executive sponsorship. Don't just start all of a sudden responding to emails differently <laughs> that probably won't go over well, but, um, you know, talk to your, your boss. If you report, report to the VP marketing and talk to them and explain what you're trying to do and, and try to get that buy-in. And ideally I, I would talk to sales, talk to anyone that you might need to deal with and explain to them the strategic value, 
um, the benefit to the business of this change in the way of working so that when you kind of roll out this reset, it's not coming as a surprise to anyone. You've already pre-aligned and the word alignment, I think is just critical. You pre-aligned with all the important stakeholders. At that point, um, it's more about really engaging with and, and you know, identifying all the key stakeholders that you then need. And, and, and this can be one-on-one -on -one conversations. Mops is really good at like, dear everyone, please see the 50 page checklist I just put together and ensure you follow yeah. it from now on. Like we feel like we've done our job <laughs> when we've done that, but usually they're like, nobody's following my process guide. It's like, well, yeah. yes, they're not, but how could you, you know, how could you communicate that in a better way? Sometimes it's getting together with people and, um, and then yes, you know, maybe you roll that out, but um, just explaining like, Hey, we're, we're, this is our next evolution. Here's how it's going to go. It's going to be uh, uh, some work, but change management, something again, that mops is also generally not that great at um, mm -hmm. most of us working on, on that piece of it really intensively. Yeah. One, one thing I was thinking about earlier uh, too was, uh, you know, that came to mind is, you know, it, it's proven that having an entrepreneurial mindset um, approach to your work can really help you with being successful in your role. And I think that that doesn't mean that you have to be, you know, an entrepreneur. It doesn't mean you have to mm -hmm. be running a business. You can take that approach into the whole team. And I think this is actually important for, for leaders because I've found that the, the most successful like leadership that I've had, you know, coming up in my role, my boss actually gave me that freedom or that, you know, held that space for me where I could actually show some entrepreneurial um, mindset, you know, uh, and actually, you know, perform those activities. He, he, you know, he said, okay, you are going to go, you know, present this to the head of sales. You're going to present the sales team and not just taking that on himself, um, and I think this is great because you need those reps. It can't just be like, oh, I'm a senior manager now. I'm a director now. Okay. Now this is when mm -hmm. I'm going to be able to do all these things. You need to put in slowly over time, you know, exercise that because you become more and more comfortable doing it. And then yeah, that's said... Justin's point. Don't just start changing how you respond to emails. Exactly. Can't you listen to this podcast? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so, and some, for some people early on in their career, that means like, like you said, having an executive sponsor, but even that could be like looking to, if you do have a manager to give you that, that space to do that. And leaders, if for any leaders listening, maybe look to ways of how you can do that for your team. Totally agree. And uh, yeah, I mean, I've heard it called like acting like an owner, you know what I mean? Like yeah. you, you have that little bit of the business that you can run totally. and, um, and you have to build those relationships. I love talking to frontline sales folks. Um, again, coming back to the site, like they're the easiest because they're generally their, their experience using their tools is so bad. They're very easy to deliver wins for and, and make them happy. And you deliver honest. some credibility. Yeah, they Because yeah. yeah. <laughs> they just want to deliver revenue. Like they're, they're very focused on that because they have to be. And, um, you know, when you get sales folks coming to you, not that you just want to have people throwing stuff on the side of your desk, but when you have them looking to you as like, Hey, you know what, can you help me? Like, um, people see you as, as a way of making their world better. That delivers a lot of credibility and same thing with marketing. Um, you know, someone's like, Oh, I'm, I'm doing this campaign and this part of it is frustrating. You're like, Hey, we can make that better. I would, I would coming, you know, back to the subject of roadmaps. We talked about a little bit about including some space for contingency. 
And it might be good to have that like 10% buffer for just, mm -hmm. just ad hoc, quick wins, low hanging fruit, like, oh yeah, like we'll put a token in for that or we'll, mm -hmm. yeah, I can build you a smart campaign for that. It doesn't, not everything needs to be like, sure, that'll be three months out. And you can deliver those quick wins. It's like, yeah, like, you know, you can be a bit like, you're the person that's delivering good stuff. People like, people like people that deliver good stuff. So yeah. So then on the roadmap, say so I'm a marketing ops senior manager say I've, I've got the scarcity problem I'm getting multiple but hundreds of slacks a day emails I don't have a documented plan at all starting from scratch what would be some really practical steps to get started right great question so well first things first you look at what are your non-negotiables uh, and usually that some of that at least is campaign ops if you're responsible for that as well so and i almost view that as separate from the roadmap because that's kind of just day-to-day -day yep. operations so all right we've got campaign ops and that's going to be 50 percent of our headcount just on that or maybe we can get um, agency support to help with that or whatever but there's going to be such and such resources dedicated to that and then there's going to be another x percent just for bug fixing ad hoc requests things that are, so this is stuck, where's my lead, you know, all, all that kind of stuff <laughs> that you just, you can't say like, sorry, that's not on the robot, you know, it's not very wise. So um, <laughs> there's that much. And then what do you have left is for strategic development of your stuff. And that, that need not be product improvement, it could be a new process, it could be enablement, it could be documentation, it could, there's many, you know, products that we might create mm -hmm. or that manage in our portfolio, but you have so much time left for that. And then always, always, always going back to the business goals. Um, most businesses these days at least have some kind of annual planning process or corporate planning process where they've got goals or OKRs or KPIs or some other three-letter acronym thing. And <laughs> that usually has like a ladder structure, you know, where you've got like business objectives, uh, you know, net new logos, upsell, product X, you know, whatever those objectives are. And then those filter down to each team. You know, so for sales, it's such and such revenue of, of new logos, such, such revenue of upsell and for marketing, it's, you know, pipeline of such and such kind, whatever. So once you identify those, then you, you know, you work back You're like, okay, well, and, and maybe there's a few more layers down depending on your organization, but you say, what do I really need to do to support them? And this isn't just about how do you shoehorn your pet projects into the, the business goals, although sometimes you can't find ways of justifying things that you know that you should do anyways, just to clean the system up or reduce debt. Um, so you can fit them in, but really thinking about it, this actually forces you to think differently and think, what, what should I do? Like, this is my business, this is my personal savings invested in this business. What would I do to help meet these goals? And, um, and then you can make that proposal, you know, and get, and get that buy-in. So say, so, you know, here's, you know, there's a lot of requests. Um, here's what I'm recommending we're doing with this much strategic time. And here's how it aligns to our business priorities. And that makes it a slam dunk generally for your executives to say yes, because they have it drilled into them what their focus is. And if they're good executives, they're going to be really laser targeted at that. So if they're seeing that you're really looking to align with that, it's easy to say yes. It's also easy sometimes to make the case for more. Say so we can do this much, but by the way, if I had another person, we could also do why. Mm -hmm. And um, that's also making it really easy to make the business case. So then at that point, you've got a plan that at least from an executive level, you're aligned with, and then you begin executing. And you're always going to have a certain amount of time that's going to be that slow, painful dance of, oh, you have another request. Oh, it's not on the roadmap. And 
um, having that intake process and being able to like talk it through, understand, maybe you can fit it in. Maybe say, you know what, we're opening up this lead flow anyways. So putting in an extra little step for data normalization or some extra enrichment step, or that's not that hard. We could probably, that's in scope. Or we can say, you know what, we can't, but here's where I see it aligning, like in my you know sprint planning methodology or whatever. Um, I, uh, when I was in house, I actually hopped on board the, um, the, the product teams planning software, they used AHA. You don't need to use a tool like that, but I thought it was really useful because it, it really focused me into like thinking that way, the way the product teams think in terms of like sprints and themes and releases and, you know, all mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. And it also builds some rigor in terms of how you develop because um, there's a whole other subject, but a lot of teams don't have a lot of rigor around QA and deployment. Mm-hmm. You know, they're always shooting themselves in the foot that way. So it, it actually helps you to, all right, we're going to do release. What is our release process? What is our QA process? Do we do regression testing to make sure we haven't broken our, you know, hand raise flow by deploying this new thing and all of a sudden hot leads are no longer reaching sales and you know, all that sort of thinking. So it is a very virtuous uh, circle in that way. Yeah. So how, so once you've pulled together that list um, of projects and you've gone through all, all, all of that thinking, what if the list is too long? Like what do, would you use any prioritization frameworks uh, or how would you prioritize generally? Um, I know yeah. there's a lot of, you know, it's kind of an abstract question um, without like real practical kind of projects in front of you to try and prioritize, but like gen- and generally, what advice would you give around prioritization? You people use like a point system sometimes They'll say, well, the ease of implementation times the business value, or they'll work out some algorithms and that, that can be okay. It really depends on how big a business you're talking about and how complex a process is. If you're just starting out, I would keep it simple. And, um, you know, how, how much does this tie back to your objective? How important is it? How much value could it deliver? How easily can you deliver it? Um, there is a perspective of quick wins. Um, unfortunately, we're always grappling with people's perceptions. So we're always needing to demonstrate you know, competence and value. So um, if I could choose between something that was, you know, a, a nine out of 10 on value, but super risky, but a seven or eight out of 10 uh, out of, on value and quite confident that I could deliver it, I would probably start with that and build up that, that trust and that track record of delivering wins. People are like, wow, this is really working. We're noticing. So that's the other thing and the, uh, on things that Mop's not that good at, the communication and being able to, hey, business, like, here's what we're doing. Like, hey, business, here's what I'm doing right now. And hey, business, here's what we did. And, you know, just continually messaging that and showcasing the success, getting that time during all hands meetings, you're getting your five minutes to, mm-hmm. to show what you're doing. Um, you need to treat it as if you're communicating with your customers. If you don't tell your customers of, of like a, a SaaS product, let's say, about your latest release, they're not going to know about it. And why should, why should they? And if you don't tell your internal stakeholders about the latest thing, you, do, you know, they're not going to know. And I've heard Mops folks say like, well, we just need to keep our heads down. We know we're doing good work and that's good enough for no. us. And yeah. Unfortunately, it's, it's not. It's, it's, it's not. And um, because you're not going to get the recognition. Definitely. And you have to frame it in a way that people are going to understand like we like we've talked about earlier on the podcast right like I've, I've worked with clients where they've been trying to communicate but it'll just be like this massive spreadsheet of just like all of these words and projects that just no one understands you know it's like right. okay well 
how can you just change that into just like one or two slides which show the the outcome the value and the value like like if you you know you maybe that like the speed to lead example you you got you know hand raises down from like a 24-hour follow-up down to like a five-minute follow-up you know that then you could talk about maybe what you did a little bit but people don't particularly care about like how you accomplish that in the systems they care about like what the result was so it's translating what you're doing so people actually care about it and communicating that often um i mean every team needs to do that right because a lot of teams don't understand what everyone else is working on yeah and i think this is this is the area where i think a lot of mobs people are like i i feel like i'm lacking some creativity in my role or i want some area to kind of like flex that muscle and i think this is a time where you can definitely do that um, because there's there's so many different ways that you can you know market your own marketing ops you know projects that you did and, and find creative ways to do that i've even done i've talked about this before but i've done even presentations to sdr teams i've done like quizzes for them i gave out like you know prizes to people if they like you know i've done trainings and then set up my own quiz or i've done like a you know a mops award whoever was the person outside of mops that but was demonstrating you know great behavior to adopting you know our new campaign process or you got marketo certified i actually gave you know gift certificates um that month so there's a lot of things you can do to kind of win those champions and more and more as people see their peers do that they're kind of like going to get on board even mm. potentially use aes or salespeople's um stories as part of your presentation bring them up with you and and have them be a use case for like why how they why they saw the value their peers will listen um and so definitely a place where you can figure out how to be creative to do that yeah i think that's fantastic those are those are really good ideas and it gives you a chance to express your personality too right like if you're if you like humor like use humor and and yeah be fun or if you're you know whatever but um yeah, I find the more that you can just generate this excitement, this feeling of momentum, this feeling like, whoa, things are really happening in MOPS and, you know, they're, they're just a well-oiled machine, a well-run ship. Um, you know, that's how you want people to think about it. And, and at a certain point, that perception becomes reality if you're delivering. And, uh, and then that's fun. And then people want to be part of that and people want to stick around because they're enjoying it. So, yeah, I really, you know, I'm really glad that um, I've seen you guys talk about this subject a few times and I'm glad because I think it's not just a, a, a tool, you know, for moms, but it's really a different way of working and our, our profession really needs that. Yeah. I know we've gone ov over a little bit. We can continue on for a few more minutes if you can. Sure. Um, and I, maybe we'll just go through kind of a quick fire question just to get through some of these other questions. Um, I'd, one of them was, what are some mistakes that people make? So we talked about a lot of what people should do. Is there anything that people should stay away from or shouldn't do? I think some of the mistakes we've we've highlighted just by contrasting example already, like the roadmap that is too complicated, too detailed, and isn't explained in a concise way. The roadmap, you know, if you've included everything, it's not a roadmap. It's just a brain dump or a laundry list. Mm -hmm. uh, the lack of communication. So the expectation that we built our roadmap and now people are going to respect it. Um, mm -hmm. Lack of executive alignment. That's probably the most damaging one of all, honestly, not that executives mm -hmm. are the only ones that matter, but if you don't have that support and VPSL is like, Hey, I need this. 
like, sorry, it's not on my roadmap. Like that's po quite possibly a career limiting move. So you, you have to really ensure that you um, are, are building that um, and you know, not talking about what you're doing, um, not, not asking why enough, building the roadmap around you and not around the customer. It's like, great, I'm gonna mm -hmm. get all the pet projects and all the little things that I know are untidy. I'm gonna get to fix them all and that's my roadmap. Um, but it isn't, it isn't just about you as the mom's person or the system admin. It has to be about your customers. So not, not really being customer aligned is in truth, not just like for political reasons, but really deeply being customer aligned. That's it. And we've all felt that from the other side, right? We've all complained about Marketo's new releases and said, but they not, they're not listening to what we really want, right? <laughs> so like, that's how our internal stakeholders would feel if we did something that didn't align to their priorities. I mean, yeah, it's terrible, right? When a team's like delivering something and, and they're like, yeah, this is this great new value because it does, I will stay away from specific examples, but it does X, Y, Z. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, that's not about me. That's about you. And uh, it hurts. It hurts. You feel taken for granted. You feel you feel disappointed because you want to love your your products. Um, I think people would love to love their, their Salesforce environment. They'd love to love mm -hmm. their Marketo. Um, just got to give them a way to do that. Yeah. And then finally, um, do you have any, any advice on how to stick to the roadmap? So once you've got going and then everything starts ramping up again, you know, how do you, how do you really stay on top of it? How do you stick with it? I guess it's a combination of uh, sheer willpower and, um, <laughs> and just preserving that alignment, resetting. And I think highlighting trade-offs say, hey, like, um, you know, CEO, I know you've got this great new pet project that just, you know, you read about yesterday on some website and you'd like to do it tomorrow. Uh, that's fine, but here's what we're giving up. If we don't do this, we're not gonna get that. And are you okay with that? And um, being able to have those conversations, not getting defensive, it's funny, a lot of the things we've talked about here are just so not technical and, and MOPS folks mm -hmm. really tend to think of themselves a lot as technical, but it's really a lot about you know, true leadership, managing uh, people, mm -hmm. managing up, stakeholder relations, your change management. So that's a big one. I do think there's room within a roadmap to be opportunistic. You know, if there's a big, like with a product, product if there's a big market trend or a big change in environment or a competitor does something, um, you know, you don't want to be rigid in the roadmap because the roadmap serves the business, not the business serving the roadmap. So if there's an opportunity, oh, this thing's happening and hey, we need to shuffle. It's fine to shuffle. You just want to do it with purpose and with intention. Totally. Definitely. I 100% I agree. And I think to your point of getting that the executive um, alignment, I think naturally people will stick to things if they have, you know, other people, you know, looking to them to actually do that. It's like the, um, I'm struggling to find the words right now. Um, but when you have the kind of like pressure from another person, yeah. it's, it's kind of like when you say to your friend, Hey, let's sign up to train for a marathon. That's so much easier to make that goal because the other person's also relying on you to, to also train with them to do it. Accountability. Yep. Thank you. <laughs> yep. Yep. Simple no, word, but, um, but that accountability. And so naturally as you work cross-functionally or, you know, pull in these different people, customers and departments, that makes it even more likely for you to uh, stick to the roadmap because there is that accountability. So just starting off the bat with all the tips that you mentioned for creating your roadmap, 
I think naturally sets you up for success. If this is something you're doing in, in a tunnel on your own in a silo, I mean, it's really like easy for you to just cross things off a list and no one else will notice. So yeah. And if you can um, get split out campaign ops from the strategic work you're doing on your roadmap, if you can, like if you have multiple people on your team, um, I feel like because campaign operations is always the thing, like the execution side is always the thing that just like escalates and escalates. There's lots of troubleshooting involved that you, it's a lot of stuff out of your control, but you have to provide that service and you can get bogged down in that and then not be able to do anything else. Um, so if you are able to kind of offload that to an agency or someone else on your team to just mainly focus on that, so you yourself can, can work on your roadmap and the projects on there, then you'll be able to find those times to be able to do deep, long work as opposed to being kind of inundated with the day-to-day. Um, I feel like that's, that's an important thing to think about, but not a lot of people can do that if you're a team of one. So Totally agree. Uh, or at least yeah. divide up your calendar if you're a team of one. Right. And, uh, you know, and eventually you can make the case for more headcount. Like we said, like, you know, if, if I had someone to help me with campaigns, here's all the cool things I could do and here's the value they deliver. And that should be an easy decision if you've made a good case for it. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for coming on and imparting your wisdom on roadmaps, Justin. We really well, thank appreciate you for it. having me. Yeah, this was a ton of fun, and uh, feel like we're in radical agreement about everything. So, uh, yeah, always, <laughs> anything we don't in... agree on, <laughs> maybe we need to come back and just have an argument about something. <laughs> yeah, that's right. A bit more, make it a bit more argumentative. But um, no, really, uh, really, really well aligned. So enjoyed it, and thanks a lot for having me. Awesome. Well, for those of you who are interested in learning more from Justin, definitely look up Justin Norris on LinkedIn. We'll include a link uh, to your profile on our uh, the page for this podcast. And, uh, you know, if you're part of those marketing ops groups out there on Slack, I'm sure you'll see some of Justin's uh, commentary and advice that he provides there too, um, which is awesome. So um, yeah, thank you everyone for joining and we'll see you on the next episode of Forward Thinking. Have a good one. This is Charlie, so if you liked what you heard, hit like on the platform where you watch this. Also, leave a review. Honestly, we would really, really appreciate it. You can also subscribe where you listen to your podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or even YouTube. And make sure you subscribe to our newsletter, which is packed full of exclusive content, updates for events or courses that we might be doing, all designed to elevate your marketing operations and B2B strategy. See you next time on Forward and Forward is Up.